Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. So this is our last, uh, sorry about that guys, this is our last series, uh, message in this series. And we talked in this series over the last three weeks, you know, I'm one of those kind of people, it's like when, you, when it comes to Christmas, a lot of times people, they kind of zone out. If you've been in Christianity for any length of time, they, they zone out during this kind time of year because it's like, ah, baby, manger, Jesus, you know, angels, glory, glory, glory. Uh, we've heard it. But I'm telling you what, every time you read the Christmas story, you can read it and you can, uh, and, and when you teach it and preach it, you can find some new aspect of uh, maturity in your faith. So whether you're uh, a new believer, and we do have some new believers in the house, and uh, we have some mature believers like myself, that you've been in Christianity walking in the faith longer than you have not in the faith. And so today, uh, I want to talk to you about Jesus being our reason for the season. We started this series off really by talking about uh, how we're the reason for the season from, from God's perspective. When he looks at Christmas, we're the reason for it. The second week, we talked about how goodwill, goodwill was one of the reasons that he came to put the earth back into some kind of, it was in chaos, but to bring goodness back into the earth and how we are agents of goodwill. And so today I'll talk to you about Jesus being our reason uh, for this season. Let's say our declaration. This is, we've got this and one more week where we're going to be saying this declaration uh, in all of our services, and then we'll switch over and we'll say a new declaration for 2020. I'm excited to reveal that to you in a couple of weeks. So let's say this, we got this, this week and one more week to say this together. Are you ready? I will constantly guard my heart and align it with God's holy word for everything that I do flows from it. Amen. Amen. So uh, I want to dive into the word. And Shay, would you bring my uh, Bible, please? Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to start. And I'm really going to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it, well, even last week, and talk about how when the angels appeared and announced Jesus' birth, I want to look at some of the wise men's actions and what we can learn from them in this story. So in Luke chapter 2, um, we'll start at around verse 15 in just a moment. And uh, in this series, again, I want us to focus on Jesus being our reason for the season. And a lot of times you'll see that and people kind of get indignant about it. Uh, you know, like they're, they're anti 
Santa Claus, anti-commercialism, anti all of this stuff. And the reality is that we live in a world and that stuff is out there and it happens and all of that. And sometimes we can lose the, um, the essence of our message in being so militant about it. You know, people, there are people, they may not be in the walk uh, or they're in their level of faith where you are. They may not be uh, a believer, so they, they may not even think about Jesus at any point, but it's all about the way you present Jesus being the reason for the season. Because I'm just telling you, some people have shared the fact that Jesus is the reason for the season, and some people have, sh- have, have shared the gospel, but they've b- just been so dadgum mean about it. It, it. It's repelled people. The message was good. The delivery was bad. Does that make sense? And so as, as we look at this today, Jesus is our reason for this season. Let, let me tell you, Jesus is not the world's reason for the season. It's gifts, it's money, it's greed, it's gimme, 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 it's consumerism. And so the world has a different reason than, than we do when we celebrate. It's kind of like when Paul talks about when people die If you've had someone in your family that recently went to be with the Lord, this will make a lot of sense to you because it's so close to your heart. Like we mourn, but Paul says we don't mourn like unbelievers. Like we mourn differently. Unbelievers mourn in this, oh my God, my life has ended. The world is gone. I can't go on. That's not how believers mourn. Believers mourn where A a great part of my life is missing. Somebody that I love intently is gone, but I know I will see them again. So we mourn, but we mourn differently because the people that they have no hope, but Jesus is our hope. So Christmas is one of those times where, where we go, wow, Jesus came that we might have life everlasting. There's hope in that. Like, no matter how bad it gets right now in this life, it's better there, you know? It doesn't matter if we've lost people in this life. Well, it does matter, but you don't understand what I'm saying. In the grand scheme of things, we will see them again. You know, if they're believers, again, Paul says, we don't mourn like people who have no hope. We, we, we mourn differently. And so Jesus being our reason, believer's reason, uh, the, the, the body of Christ's reason. So when we celebrate Christmas, Christ should be the center of what we do. It doesn't mean that we can't do all of the other holiday traditions. There's nothing wrong with holiday traditions. I love holiday traditions. But a lot of times when it comes to Christmas, we leave Christ completely out of it. We do our church stuff. You know what I'm saying? We do our church stuff. But like you're going to see in this story that we read just in, in just a minute, that there's something, there's a response that happens when we come to Christ. We live differently. And so let's look in, um, in Luke chapter two and let's start at verse 15. And this is when the angels had made the, uh, the announcement of his birth and now they're leaving to go back to heaven. Verse 15 says, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem 
let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had told us about. And verse 16 says, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. And after seeing him, that's important. So however your translation lines up out there, but after seeing him, I would circle that because that's important. So it means that there was something that happened here, but now after they, they saw him, something happens. And this is what happens. The shepherds went and told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And the shepherds went back. Where are they going? Back. Like they went to see this incredible event. All right. But now the show's over, boys. Break it up. You, you ever heard those in like the crime uh, little movies, Barney Fife? It's like the show's over. Get on back. You know, he, the show's over. And so now they're going back to what they're used to doing. But as they went back, look, I want you to notice there's a change in them. They're not going back the same way that they came. They're not going back. There's this changing. And so in verse 20s, the shepherds went back to their flocks, but they're glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. I, if I were you, I would, I would circle. They went back to their flocks and then glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard for it was just as the angel had told them. So there's, are you following me with this response? So as they're going to see what happened, there's, they're going with a certain attitude. They're like, hey man, this miraculous appearance of these angels, we've never seen that before. That was amazing. Let's go check out and see if it's like she told, uh, or he or whatever, you know, the angel told us it was. And so they're going, but they're going more in an exploratory, I'm gonna go, you know, check this stuff out. And when they went, and found the baby laying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time to go into that, but a couple of years ago, I actually uh, used this as, an, as a whole message because we, we don't fully understand like a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes laid in a manger of all things. See, God lined all of this up where a stable was the only place. Nobody thinks to lay a baby in a feeding trough. But when he said, the angel said to the shepherds, I want you to go and I want you to go and this is going to be a sign to you. A sign of what? A sign of the Messiah. The one who takes away the sin of the world. Well, shepherds knew that Jerusalem, man, they produced mass uh, volumes of lambs for the slaughter for the sacrifice, to atonement, to take away sins. And the sacrificial lamb, the high priest would take that lamb and so that it wouldn't get banged up or messed up and remain you know, pure for the sacrifice, it had to be unblemished. They would take that little lamb and they would wrap it in cloths. And then, you know, of course it can't move and they would lay it in a manger, the feeding trough so that when it was time for the sacrifice, then they would take it and sacrifice it. So 
This is why it's important to the shepherds because the angel said, this is going to be a sign to you when you see this. When they saw this baby laying in a manger, nobody does that. What does that, what, what, have we ever seen anything wrapped up laying in a manger? Yeah, we have. We've seen the, the sacrificial lambs that we take up. Oh my God, this is the sacrificial lamb. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. When they saw him, now it would have been different if he had been laying naked over in a bunch of hay or on you know, his mother's uh, stomach, but he wasn't. He was laying in a manger, so it had, it had uh, prophetic significance. And so, Jesus, they knew this was the Messiah and he's the whole reason why we celebrate this time. But I want you to understand that when they went, they like this was, this was a life-changing event for them. Like they knew the significance of this baby. They knew it. When we come to Christ, Hopefully, when we come to Christ, we know the significance that he's the only one that can take away the sin of the world. And that when we have that experience, that we look at their departure, their departure was not like their approach. They arrived completely different the way they left. When they left, they went back. In other words, when we come to salvation, man, and that's a beautiful time. But when we come to salvation, when we leave, we leave and go back into the world, into our different lives, our daily routines in a different way. And what did they do? And I mean, if you just look at this, you can see what we as believers are supposed to do. They left and they went about telling everybody what had happened and what they had seen. In other words, what, what were they doing they were witnessing or testifying of God's goodness. Man, I'm telling you what, the church, the folks in this room that we've had an experience with God, when good stuff happens in our life, listen, can I tell you, it wasn't your boss that did that. When something good happens on your business and you get a raise, that wasn't your boss. That was not, that was not your corporation. That wasn't, that wasn't your customer base that did that. Like when you get a good report from the doctor where you had a bad report and you go in and get a good report. Oh, thank you, doc. Thank you, Jesus. And then thank you, doc. Because that's God's favor on our life. And when we go out of there, man, I just want to tell you, the doctor gave me a good report. That's a good report, man. I'm just so excited. That's not bad. But who should we be giving the credit for? Glorifying and praising God. Man, I just thank the Lord that I was able to get a new car. Now, you, you, you got that because they got zero financing to 2050, you know. And I was able to finally afford me a new car. No, 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 no. God provided, you know, and, and I'm telling you, these guys, they were changed by that experience. 
It moved them in a way that they had not been moved before. They saw Jesus for the very first time. They saw the prophetic word coming to, uh, to fruition in their life. They saw the favor of God for the very first time. And I just want to challenge us as a church that, hey, we have come We have seen him. We have experienced him. Now let's go back. Let's go back to work tomorrow. Let's go back to uh, school. Let's go back to the job. Let's go back to our families. Let's go back to our different ways of life. But what if we went back and we just all started praising God for everything? And don't get all religious and and think it's got to be freaky like oh we got to have a praise break we got to have a uh, you know praise dance right here you know do 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 you know no you just give god the glory i'm just telling you man it can lead into so many um conversations with people man i'm just telling you shay and i this is uh, uh not true i'm just using us as an example Shay and I, man, we couldn't afford, you know, a new car. Um, Well, can I change it and make it into something real for us? All right. I was just going to give you a hypothetical, but let me make it real. Man, Shay and I thought that we would always be in debt. We just never thought that we would be people that would be debt free. And based upon biblical teaching from our church and us putting it into practice and my wife's uh, militant diligence, we paid off her car. We paid off my vehicle. Y'all know that feels good when you ain't got a $400 uh, car payment, right? But it gets better. And so because of this, uh, we, we've snowballed that debt and we've taken all of our income that we're saving. She's putting it, man, towards our house. And in three years, our house is going to be paid off. And so, you know, how is that possible? It's not because she's smart and I make a kabillion dollars. My wife makes more money than me. You know what I'm saying as a teacher, but the point is not all of that. The point is God is good to us. Our needs are met and he is helping us. He is making it possible for this. And so when we tell that story, we don't tell it from the standpoint of, uh, well, man, we just make a lot of money and we're smart. We don't tell it from that. We give God the credit and It goes back to teaching, biblical teaching from his word, because until we had that teaching, you know what we did with our money? All right, dude, we paid off my car. Now we got 400 extra bucks to just blow. No, until we got that teaching and realized, wow, we need to be good stewards of what we have. And so that came, praise God, from this house. So we tell people those stories. Why are we telling them those stories? Anybody want to guess? Why, why, why would we tell them in that way? A, a testimony, honor to God. Come on, give me some more. There. He reminds us of how good God is, but this is the the one that I want to go with. It gives them hope. Like, dude, listen, 
You're as special to God as we are. If we could do this, you could do it. You know how that happened? Somebody told us about their debt-free story. And we're like, well, God loves us just as much as, as he loves them. So if God did it for them, he's no respecter of persons. He loves all of his children. I know I walk in his favor. So God is gonna do that for me. So what if every time something good happens in our world that we give praise to God? And what if... When bad things happen in our life that we say, I don't understand it. I'm actually a little angry with God right now. But, I, and that may not be true for you, but it's certainly been true for me. I don't understand this, God. I'm a little bit upset with you right now. But here's the but. But God, I know you're gonna see us through this. I know you're gonna be faithful to your word. God, I know, even in the middle of this, everything's gonna be all right because God is working in my favor. What does that do for those people? It helps them see, oh my gosh, I'm telling you what, when some of my friends have lost their children and I look at them and go, how in the world are you standing right now? And they give honor to God. They praise God. God is carrying me through it. God is my peace. I can't explain it, but I feel so at peace right now. What does that do? I hope I never have to experience what they experience, but you know, we'll experience things in our life. And what do I do? I go back to God, what they went through is nothing compared to what I went through. If you brought them that kind of peace in that, I know you can bring that kind of peace in me. So let me share with you five things. These are five reasons Five reasons why Jesus is our reason for worship. And that verse on the screen is just simply the verse that I was just explaining to you that was important to me in this story is that they were changed and they returned and they went back living life differently. They never were the same ever again. So let's go into these five reasons why Jesus is the reason for our worship. See, if Jesus is not the reason for your worship. Worship can be long and boring. And what the heck are they doing? Like, if Jesus is not your reason for that. But when Jesus becomes the center of our attention, the center of our focus, then I'm just gonna tell you, lunchtime is gonna be there when I get out of church. I'm like, you know, we don't go forever. But we do allow Holy Spirit to do what he wants to. But if Jesus is not the reason for your worship, like it's something to get out of the way. I had a gentleman one time uh, that we were at another church I was the youth pastor at. And, uh, and he just sat on the second row like a bulldog. And he was actually a really... Uh, sweet man, you know, just a, a, a really kind man, but he looked like a bulldog. And I'm not, I'm not joking. He had an underbite. I'm not trying to be funny. He had an underbite. So he sat there like this through the entire worship. And one day he was talking to me after church and he said, you know, when y'all get up there and you just keep going on and on and, and he's like, I just, I feel like, you know, we just need to move on with it. We got other things to do. And I'm like, You've, you never engaged with the heart 
of what worship is all about. Worship's not about you. Worship's not a activity that we do. It's not religious stuff that we do. You know, it's about engaging with the Father. It's about engaging with somebody that you love. And if you have it, trouble expressing love, and there are people that do, maybe some of you uh, have expressed uh, uh, trouble expressing love or being emotive. Like if you have a problem with expressing yourself to people in the natural, then that will probably be your experience in the supernatural. I've never had a problem telling people I love them. I'm that person that tells people I love you too soon. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, I mean, I'm on my second date and I already love the girl and I'm ready to marry her. You know, that's, that's, I, I, I'm, I was that guy. And um, Sam's like, yes, amen, I feel that sphere. <laughs> but if, if you can express your emotion, even if you can't, I would encourage you, grow in that area of your life. It's just an area of your life that you could grow in Grown men should be able to say, son, I love you. And it shouldn't be hard. It should flow off your tongue. Son, I love you. Son, I, I, want, I got something I want to tell you. You know, uh, I've been trying to figure out how to say this for 30 years. For God's sake, spit it out and mean it. Like, encourage your son, your daughter, whatever. I love you. I love you. And so it comes to when, it, when we talk about God, God, I love you. Father, I love you. I am not ashamed of that. The scripture says if we're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of us. So I'm not ashamed of him. I'm not ashamed to say I love him. I'm not ashamed to be affectionate towards him. And so these five reasons, why is he our reason? Number one, Jesus, he adores us. Like God he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Like he loves us. But I want you to listen to this. Like, you know, he loves us and we sing songs like, oh, come, let us adore him. But this is what Jesus says. He says, oh, come, let me adore you. We sing, God, you're, you're the center of our affection. But he's saying, but you're the center of my affection. He adores us. He doesn't just like us. We're not just a, a, a play toy for him, some cosmic God up there, and he's just moving us around uh, like pieces of chess on a chessboard. He loves us. And I want you to listen to a couple of scriptures. Romans uh, 9 and 25 says that he calls us his beloved. Sometimes men, because of all the machismo that we feel, like we don't want anybody calling us, you know, his beloved. That's just kind of creepy and freaky for some guys. But he calls us his beloved. He loves us. We're special. We're endeared to him. Like he wants to have a relationship with us. John 15 verses 9 through 17 starts off like this. As he, Jesus says, as the fathers loved me, I love you that way. Jesus is telling us how he loves us. As the father has loved me, the son, I love you that way. 
And then he sums it up by saying this. He says, greater love has no man than this, that someone would lay down their life. So there's no greater love than that somebody would lay down their life. Well, until you get to Jesus in the scripture, you don't read anywhere in the scripture of any person trying to stand up and be the sacrifice for mankind's sin. Nowhere in scripture do you see that until Jesus. Why? Because there's nobody that has loved us like that. And this leads me to the second point is that Jesus is the only one who took action to save us. He's the only one that stepped forward and said, I'm going to do something about this. And listen, the action did not start at Christmas. The scripture says that before the foundations of the world, God made a plan. Well, why did he make a plan? He knew, because he knew what we were going to do. He knew he made us. His plan was not for that to happen. And now, if you have kids, or if you've ever experienced somebody that struggles with some area in their life, listen, I'll, I'll use my sister, for example. She's past and uh, in heaven, I believe, but she struggled a long time with drug addiction. And she would tell you one thing. She would tell you one thing. If I could just get $20 from you, you know, you just let me bum $20 off of you. And I'm like, I know where that $20 is going. You still love her. You still love her. I promise you, I promise you, God is my witness. I'm just gonna go buy, uh, you know, uh, some food or something. You know where that $20 is going. Sissy, do you promise me? I promise you, Rife, I promise you. You're not lying to me. No, I'm serious, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Okay, here it is. And what happens? But what, you never stop loving her. Jesus knew what we were gonna do even though that wasn't his desire. So what does he do? He makes a plan. Listen, I'm gonna do this. I know they're gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna give them life. I'm gonna create them, but I know they're gonna grow up. They're gonna disappoint me. They're gonna sin. They're gonna leave this covenant relationship. So I'm going to make a plan so that from the foundations of the world, he was the lamb slain for their transgressions, our transgressions. He's the only one who took action for us. This leads me to number three. He's the only one who was able to take action. If by some some happenstance that there was some great prophet that stood up and said, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna sacrifice myself I'm gonna climb up on this altar. I'm gonna sacrifice myself and for all the world. Listen, buddy, that's good for you and you know, great offer, but you, it's not within your ability. You can't pay, you can't give something you don't have. So Jesus was the only one who was able to take away the sin of the world. And Revelation speaks of, uh, in chapter 13, verse eight, says that he was the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. In other words, before you and I were ever born, but we were thought of, the concept, the great architect had already made, made the plans, but before the foundations of the world, he also became the lamb who was slain 
for our transgressions. And then John 1, 9, 1, 29, sorry, says, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He's the only one who is capable. All your good works, all my good works, all us trying to be good people, that's fine and good. We should be good people, but that is not what brings us into relationship with God, and that is not what promises us an eternity. Every one of us is going to spend somewhere when we leave this world. And this is the fourth thing. He's our advocate. Right now, the scripture says that he is making intercession. He pleads our case before the Father. He's the one who says, you know, to the Father, when we mess up, when we mess up, he's constantly there interceding on our behalf. He's the one when we sin, like if Jesus was not the mediator between us and God, God is righteous, God is holy, no sin can enter his presence. That's why he says, be holy as I'm holy. But when God is looking at me, he's not looking at me directly, he's looking at me through Christ. Because Christ is standing. He's the mediator. That means the go-between, the one who stands in the gap, the peacemaker, the peacekeeper. He's standing there. And so he's my, my advocate. He's your advocate that when we mess up, there's not an angry God on the other side of, uh, of, of us going, I'm ready to kill you. I'm ready to, you know, to put you in your place. No, we have a loving God because every time he's seeing us, He's seeing us through the lens of Jesus' love and his forgiveness for us. And this is the last one. Jesus, he's not only God, he's Adonai. That word Adonai, the Hebrew word Adonai means Lord. He's our ruler. He's king. And so this is something that for you and me, when we come to Christ, he's our savior. Like this is really important. Like we, words are important and how we say things can take on a totally different context. We don't make Jesus our, Lord, our savior. He's savior whether you make him uh, savior. Well, you can't make him. He's savior of the world. Like that's who he is. He came and paid the price. Like you can't make me Rife Stewart. I am Rife Stewart. He came he is our savior because he's the only one who can save. Whether you and I or other people accept him as savior, that's our business. But here's what God can't do. God cannot make himself your Lord. He can't make himself Adonai. Like that's only something you and I can do. We invite him to be our Lord. We invite him to have lordship over our life. And that word Adonai means ruler over everything. Like not just a part. Ruler over everything. It also means like master or king, kingship. And so lordship is one of those beautiful things that when you grow to that place in your life where he's lord, and there's a lot of the body of Christ right now that they live with him as their savior. They've accepted the forgiveness. They've accepted. But that, what that does is that, you know, prepares us and enables, 
and entitles us heaven. That's what that does. Lordship is a totally different part of our relationship. It's where we grow to this place of like, now God, I gave you my life, my heart, but now I'm giving you everything. I'm making you Adonai over my life, Lord over my life. So my house is yours. You can use it however you want to, Lord. My car is yours. My money is yours. It's all for your glory and kingdom. I'm just here as a steward over this stuff. My kids are yours. You understand they're his kids anyway. But when you dedicate them to the Lord and release them to the Lord, I'm telling you one of the most liberating things for me as a parent of adults has been making him Lord of my children. Because I'm telling you what, when you are trying to be the Lord of your children, Jesus, that is a miserable thing. There comes a time where you say, God, I did my part. Those are your kids. You're watching them over them day and night. You're watching over them. You're, you're, you're making opportunities for them. Listen, God never sleeps or slumbers. While we're Lord of our children, we're trying to worry and fret over them and all of their well-being. But you're not their Lord. You're not Adonai to them. There is a parent in heaven who loves them more than you and I love them. Who is setting things up in their lives and opportunities for them to come into relationship with him, deeper relationship with him. Somebody needs to receive this for your adult children. And if you don't have adult children yet, uh, you need to receive this in advance so you'll save yourself some heartache. God loves your children because he's really their parent. He's Adonai over, over your children. And so he's watching over them. And these are the reasons, guys, why it's so easy to worship. This is why it's so easy to worship the Lord because he is the reason for our worship in so many ways. Jesus, he didn't come just to save us from hell. A lot of people, that's where their faith begins and ends. Whew, man, I'm not going to hell. I've accepted Jesus as my savior. Can I tell you that's not why he came? He did not even come to save us for heaven. That's not why he came. It's a product. It's a benefit. It's the favor of the Lord that we get to go be with him. But he came to save us for himself. See, God so loved the world. He loved us. He loved the world. You could just stop the sentence there. For God loved the world. The rest of that verse tells you what happens and why he loved the world, but it tells you what happened. He loved the world so much that he gave his son. That was the action that took place. And here's the benefit, the favor. He gave his son so that we would have everlasting life. All that other stuff is whipped cream and cherry. But he really came 
to save us for himself. Why? Because he loves us. He loves you and me. There's this love that he has us on his mind all the time. All the time, God has you and me on his mind. And so this morning, we're going to worship and we're going to take communion here in just a few minutes. But I just want to share with you how you can activate this message today. So Pastor Reif, what can I do with what you've told me today? Because God has called us to be doers of the word and not just hear the word. So how can we do this? Number one, you can accept Jesus as your savior. Everybody in this place, you might be saved, but if you're not, it's very simple to come into relationship with the Lord. And that's simply by asking Jesus to be your savior. There's a second part to this, and that's ordain him as Lord. Ordain him as Adonai, the ruler, the king of your life. Now, Usually on these days, everybody in the house may have professed Jesus as their savior. But I promise you, without the shadow of a doubt, I know that there are people that have not made him Lord. Lordship is a whole new part of your relationship. It's a covenant. It's a agreement. It's a maturity in your life when you say, God, you can have it all. Every part of my life, God, everything I've got is yours. You can take my addictions. You can take all the mess. I don't understand why he would want that, but he actually wants that. He'll take it. He'll receive it. And we begin to just make him Lord of our life in every area And so I just want to ask you, if you've not made him Lord, uh, uh, Savior, just pray with me and receive him. And if you're like, yeah, I've done that a bunch of times and, you know, just I'm, I'm not sure about all of that. Well, just take a minute and I'll pray. And you you just partner with me in this. And if this is something that you feel like is for you, then then you say, yes, everything. That's my heart, Lord and I receive you, then you can partner with it. And then I'll pray about lordship, okay? So Lord, I've been living my life the way I've wanted to and the way that I was brought up and the mindsets that I've thought about. And God, I'm just ready to try something new. I'm just ready to just really release it all, God, to you. And Lord, I want you to be my savior. I want you to save me from myself because, you know, I've come to church, I've done good things, but still there's something that has not clicked. And this whole faith thing has just been kind of something that it's like, yeah, that's, you know, it's there. But Lord, I want to turn myself over to you today and say, come and receive me, God. As I receive you, come receive me, Father. As I come through the sacrifice that the Son made for me. Like, why would you give your life for me? Literally, you gave your life 
So now, God, I'm giving you my life. And I ask you, Lord, to come make me clean. All the trauma that I've experienced, all the things in my life, God, that have been difficult for me, I say, Lord, come. Take all of my baggage and my bondage and all of the things that are wrong with me, God, and I just lay them at your feet, Lord. And I take you at your word when you say that if any man comes and he is in Christ and that I step into this relationship with you, that your word says, behold, like, look, I'm a new creation. All the old is gone. All the trauma is gone. All the past is the past. But like right now, I'm completely stepping into something new. And so, Lord, I accept you as my Savior. I accept the fact that you are the only one who can save me. My good works won't save me. I can't be good enough for you. But, Lord, you receive me. And so, Lord, I receive you. So if that's your heart, then you are in the family of God. But here's a whole different place in our relationship with him. This is a place of uh, lordship, of Adonai, where we say, God, help me to lay my life down for you. Every area of my life. God, I don't want to have any part of my life that holds me down. I don't want finances. I don't want money. I don't want material things to have a lordship over me. I don't want my health. I don't want my kids. I don't want anything in my life that is something, Lord, that is going to uh, weigh me down and that I I live my life based upon what those things dictate me to do. I want to live my life based upon what God you say I should do because your word says that the footsteps of a righteous person and remember you were just made righteous or when you ever you were accepting the Lord you were made righteous and the scripture says that the footsteps the path the the journey in life of a righteous person is ordered by the Lord. Like he is the one who sets up those opportunities for you.